Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's the 27th of July, 2022. It is Wednesday. I think that's right. I think it's Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. How's your week going? Thank you so much for including me in your day today. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 1 John chapter 1. It's actually two verses, 5 and 6. And we're going to read them and then we're going to talk a little bit about the context here. So um, 1 John 1, 5 and 6 says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. So let's consider for a moment the reality of there being no darkness at all in God. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Really? Is that even possible? What what does that even mean? How could a person ever look upon God who is light? I mean, like you couldn't do that, right? If there's no darkness in him at all, there's no shadow. There's no, um, then there's no differentiation. There's no, you'd have no depth perception. I mean, you, yeah, it'd burn out your retinas like in an instant. Okay, that's the point. It's like staring at the sun, except like really staring at the sun. With physical eyes, we just can't do it. So not until the light of the world stepped down into darkness and opened our eyes to help us see, could we behold the glory of God. Like that's what Jesus is doing. He is revealing the father, helping us to see that which we cannot even look upon the glory of the father's one and only son. And in him, there is no darkness. He is the light of life. John chapter eight twelve 12 um, says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let me ask you this morning, do you have the light of life? The one in whom there is no darkness, no shadow of turning, no hedging, nothing but light. Today's verses are set in um, a little bit of a larger context, as is always true, right, of the verses of scripture. So 1 John chapter 1, let's read the first 10 verses as we enter into our conversations of the day and seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues we face as the people of God. So here you go. 1 John chapter 1, the first 10 verses. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. 
and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. And this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but then go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. That's the first 10 verses of 1 John chapter 1. I want to invite you today to consider, if you've never done so before, consider turning to the one who is the light of life. Consider turning to the one who is the word of truth. Consider turning and looking at Jesus. And yes, that light is going to reveal the darknesses within us. It's going to reveal our sin. But we also acknowledge that Jesus, as the light of the world, has died that our sins might be forgiven. So let us confess our sins to him for he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't you want that? I do. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge and this is Faith Radio. Jeff Bilbrog joins us again from Grove City College and Front Porch Republic. You can find what he's writing and connect with him at jeffbilbrow.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. So I, um, I read and actually then listened to this conversation with a pastor, former pastor whose name is Dan White, uh, Jr., um, and I thought that maybe it would provide fodder for our conversation today in terms of looking at the status of pastors and those who serve in churches across the country and just how they are expressing um, their experience of the tremendous divisions, political divisions in particular, um, that people are experiencing today. Yeah, I think it's on the one hand, you know, a deeply personal interview that Dan gives uh, and uh, particular to his circumstances. But as he notes, it's also uh, just kind of one example of a, a story that's increasingly common right now uh, as uh, churches and local communities are, are fragmented by these broader political polarization that we're seeing and then and then real people are damaged and and ministry is hindered and it's uh it's real tragedy so i'm going to read um a couple of paragraphs of this to, to give um everybody some context yeah. for dan white for dan white jr a trauma diagnosis pushed him toward a new calling helping other exhausted faith leaders find peace so this is uh the way uh this article leads off america is burned out between the stress of the pandemic, growing polarization, and declining trust in institutions, many people are near their breaking point. 
The feeling is particularly acute for those who have traditionally been society's bridge builders, teachers, healthcare workers, faith leaders, as they increasingly find themselves in the crosshairs of our divisions. Dan White Jr. was a pastor in New York for nearly 20 years until the stress of trying to mend the chasms within his church led to his physical collapse. When he went searching um, for a place to heal and find support, he found few options, so he decided to create his own. And now he has a new calling, running a retreat center for burned out pastors in Puerto Rico. Um, Jeff, when he describes um, like initially discovering the power of pastoral presence, it's very sweet. You can tell that he um, understands what it means to you know sort of be the enfleshed presence uh, or the you know incarnate presence of God uh, in in the lives of hurting people. You can tell that um, he was willing to reach out and desired to do so. But then there came this point in time when he acknowledged, he began to see that there were people who had been so traumatized by the church, by people who were misrepresenting God, that they saw pastors not as shepherds, but as wolves. And that's really, I think, when the light begins to dawn on him, that this calling to be a pastor in these days in the United States of America is not going to be one where you are always um, well regarded. Yeah, and I think that the challenge is, it's one thing if um, that kind of enmity or uh, trauma comes from outside the church, uh, and maybe he could deal with that broader public perception of pastors as wolves. But then when that also happens internally to the congregation, and when the people that you're trying to love and care for and manifest God's uh, presence to are also uh, attacking you, then it becomes really difficult. Yeah, um, he talks about what, you know, what I would describe um, as these sheep bite. I mean, <laughs> that's my best way. Yeah. To, that's my yeah. best way to describe. And, and I don't think that his um, description of this experience in the life uh, of pastoral ministry is at all unique. Um, right. I have experienced similar things. I know many, many people. I mean, like people in the church who don't like whatever is happening at the leadership level and they send out, you know, anonymous mass emails now that, you know, right. Yeah. It used to be, they had to actually like go and print letters and, you know, address them. And no, no, now they just send out mass emails to the entire church, um, denigrating the pastor and other leaders within the church and seeking to foment, you know, some sort of fracture within the body. Um, and it's, it's not faithful. I mean, it's clearly not faithful for people to be doing that. And yet people seem utterly happy to undermine the authority of their pastor and destroy their ministry. Yeah, it seems like it's an example of the ways that our, the way that we deal with disagreements in public, uh, you know, through social media or through shaming people online or trying to rally support for our cause has, um, bled over into how we deal with disagreements in local churches and communities. And, you know, that, as you say, it's not faithful that there are clear biblical guidelines for how we deal with disagreements and they don't involve anonymous or vitriolic, uh, you know, mass communication. And I think uh, as Christians, we just have to be willing to extend uh, more grace to our leaders and uh, commit to following a biblical process when we're working through what may very well be real disagreements, but uh, we have to deal with those in a Christ-like manner and not 
just uh, use whatever weapons we can to to try to win the battle. I think, um, and we'll we'll leave it here, and then we'll rejoin a, a maybe a different conversation when we come back. But part of what comes through, I think, in this um, conversation with Dan White, um, is that seminaries maybe uh, and. And maybe there's pastoral retraining that needs to happen because the context of ministry has changed so radically um, today. But clearly, pastors are not being equipped for spiritual warfare, and they're not being equipped to deal with um, rabid sheep who turn on the shepherd or, you know, or turn on the other shepherd. I just think pastors are not being adequately equipped for what he clearly describes as a war zone. Um, serving Christ uh, in, in these days, uh, particularly here in the United States of America and our polarized political divisions. So let's lift up our pastors. Let's be praying for them. Let's send them a note of encouragement today. Jeff Bilbro and I will be um, we'll be back in just a moment. We're going to talk about friendship. So I want you to just ask yourself right now, what kind of friends do I look for and what kind of friend am I? Is friendship really about affirmation and non-judgmentalism, or do you really want friends and want to be a friend that's challenging and truth-telling? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Continuing our conversation with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College, uh, Front Porch Republic. You can find the water dipper there at frontporchrepublic.com. Jeff, when we think about friendship, this piece that you sent me, um, I I was just very illuminating and I really, really like it. So we're going to talk about this essay posted at comment. Dot org, and it's written by James Mumford. Why don't you read people in on Find Brutal Friends? Yeah, so James begins with uh, a kind of description of how we often might imagine good friendship today in our culture as somebody who, you know, identifies um, your desires, your uh, aims in life, and then helps you to achieve those. And they're uh, just supportive, and they you know, as he puts it, they're kind of a cheerleader for you and they help you in overcoming obstacles and achieving the end that you desire. But he questions whether that's really an adequate description of friendship, particularly for Christians, and uh, says that we have to recognize that there is a, a need for friends who will hold us accountable when our desires are wrong, when the ends that we're choosing for our lives might be misguided. And he has this paragraph, which I think uh, is quite good. He says, we should seek brutal friends, friends who refuse to accept us as we are. Friends challenge and coax. They don't just help us realize our pre-established goals. They question whether our goals are the right ones in the first place. So I think um, that's a really uh, a challenging call for us as we consider the kinds of friends we are and also consider the kinds of friends you know, that we seek out? Do we just seek out people who will affirm us? Or do we also expose ourselves and make ourselves vulnerable to people who might challenge us and, and hold us accountable? Yeah, I like this question. Should we help our friends pursue their dreams at all costs? 
And, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, I mean, sometimes our friends are dreaming the wrong dreams or they're dreaming right. dreams that are like not right, not aligned with um, God's kingdom come, you know, God's will be yeah. done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I think to be a true friend, to be a real friend is to be a truth teller, but to do so in a way um, that, you know, this other person knows that I love them. Like, right. I mean, if if you know and you trust that I love you, you're willing to hear me say some things and point out some things um, because, you know, I'm I'm you're stuck with me. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Wherever you go, I'm yeah. following you around. You are my friend. And I think that vision of friendship uh, contrasts quite starkly with the article we talked about a few minutes ago by Dan White Jr. And, you know, if, if we uh, don't operate from that basis of love and belonging, uh, then when we do challenge people, it tends to be anonymous or kind of uh, we give them an ultimatum. You have to choose my way or I leave you. And that's unhealthy. But uh, having people who love us and are committed to us and who challenge us in love and, uh, and grace is a whole different experience, right? And that's uh, what Christian friendship should look like. I um in reading this uh, learned I, I learned something about uh, what the Athenians were up to prior to <laughs> the understanding of Platonic friendship. So uh, that was um, that was an illuminating bit in here. Um, when we talk about uh, friendship and we talk about the way we engage with one another, um, I'm not sure that you know seeking brutal friends is maybe the way that we would describe it. But I would say that this might lead to a conversation with existing friends to say, you know, first of all, here are the things uh, that you know you have spoken truth about in the past, and I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that our friendship has endured, you know, X, Y, and Z. I'm wondering if we might we might become these kinds of friends that are described here, um, where we might challenge one another, where we might, you know, really choose to do good and be good and provoke one another to love and good works. Yeah, I think that is a very practical and good uh, call, Carmen, that that this should prompt us to, to kind of invite from our friends this form of love, a, a love that challenges us when we fall short and uh, holds us responsible to seek after the kingdom of God. So I had um, coffee with a friend a few days ago, and at the end of it, she came right out and said, and I thought, wow, I can't believe I'm having this conversation with Jeff. This is so timely. She just came right out and said, you know, just really, um, I want you to tell me. I want you to tell mm. me the places where you see Jesus in my life and where you don't. And I thought, wow, that is a that is a profound invitation. Um, and you really, you know, that that shows a lot of trust in me as a friend. She, you know, she's she's putting a weapon in my hand, essentially. Right. Yeah. I and mean, she's a, a scalpel. Um, and she's, you know, and she's saying sort out the good and the bad fruit. Um you know, but that's a huge invitation to extend to someone. And so I think that, you know, we, we ought to encourage one another to do that. Let's be the people who turn to our friends and trust them enough to say, I want you to tell me where you see Jesus and where you don't. Um, and then let's be the people who receive that invitation from our friends um, and and handle that incredible um, trust appropriately. Yeah. Amen.
Yeah. Jeff, as always, what a delight to talk with you. Thank you so much. Um, anything we need to know about what's going on in your summer? Not too much. Enjoying the fruits of a, of a good garden and uh, mm. lovely summer days. So it's, it's great. I love that. I love Very that. Grateful. All right. Jeff Bilbro, as always, great to talk um, with you. You guys can find him at Grove City College or Front Porch Republic or at his own website, jeffbilbro.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, what in the world is going on in the world? Let's take a quick look around the globe and international headlines. Russia is leaving the International Space Station after 2024. They're going to work with China on their own project. Um, Feels like one of those things where they should have told NASA first before announcing it, but there you go. So uh, I'm going to expect NASA to be scrambling on how to replace all the things that Russia currently contributes to um, the space station, including like rides back and forth. So, you know, you're going to have to get a ride. Uh, Russia also turned down the volume of fuel flowing into uh, countries in Europe that are dependent upon Russian fuel, which let's just stop right there, hard stop and say that shouldn't be like, right. You shouldn't be dependent on Russia for fuel, but that is what is going on. So European nations are planning to ration fuel leading into the winter so that they can ensure that there will be enough for people to heat their homes and get around. Um, U.S. officials say they have little fear that China would attack Nancy Pelosi's airplane if she does, in fact, fly to Taiwan. But the U.S. House uh, Speaker um, would be entering one of the world's hottest spots. And so the Chinese government has made very clear they do not want the uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States of America to make a planned trip to Taiwan. The Pentagon is developing plans for any contingency. Good Lord. Yeah, we don't we don't need trouble on that front. But there you go. That's what's going on. A 7.0 magnitude earthquake um, shook parts of the Philippines earlier today. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, the quake struck in northern Luzon, Uh, the country's most populous island, um, and the impact was felt in the capital city of Manila more than uh, 250 miles away. And so let's be um, praying for evacuation efforts, efforts um, to... to liberate and, um, and, and find people who might be missing under the rubble. Um, there have been uh, rescue teams and relief teams dispatched to the region from all over. And obviously um, residents are being encouraged to stay alert for possible aftershocks. And island nations have the you know, additional challenge of tsunamis that can be created um, for, you know, f- for other parts of the region. So all kinds of things going on around the world. We're going to catch up with Ruth Kramer next from Mission Network News. She always brings us news of what our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing and engaged in around the world. And these are messages of hope. It's not just, you know, it's not just that, um, wow, things are in peril and, you know, and we hear r- rumors of wars and, um, and earthquakes. But we also get to hear the good news of what God is doing through the activity of his people in these spaces and places um, to shine the light of Christ. And so that's what we're doing here. And we're going to talk with Ruth Kramer next about what's going on in Afghanistan, Darfur, 
and Russia. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcoming back our friend Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find the stories we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, I am well. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm getting ready to uh, head out for a competition for USATF Masters Nationals tomorrow. So, all right, which is a running competition, yes? Yeah, it's the it's the uh, track and field for Masters National Competition. I love that. I love that. See, we we love that you have a you have a very you're a much more interesting person person than some of the rest of us. Oh, so <laughs> thank you so much for. Uh, for joining us today, as always. Tell us what's going on um, with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. We're looking at, you know, we're looking toward the first anniversary of the Taliban takeover um, in that country. Well, you know, we we are obviously watching the situation because it isn't very good. You know, Taliban promised it was going to be a new gentler Taliban, yeah, Taliban 2.0. And yet we already knew who they were going to be because they already told us who they were going to be and you know everything that we thought was going to happen has happened um the christians in in afghanistan are facing severe persecution they really are in the crosshairs of being um targeted for removal or targeted for um uh silence you know so the church has gone underground in afghanistan we can continue to pray for them um, there's just a lot of things going on. You know, obviously the the country's had a couple of earthquakes, major quakes in the last uh, two months or so. And our partners that are actually on the ground there have found it somewhat challenging to uh, really connect with uh, the church network in order to be able to provide aid that can get out to the communities that have been directly affected. You know, you had a quake about a month ago. Uh, well, a little bit more than a month ago, beginning of June, that was very deadly. It was it killed over a thousand people. Um, and when you consider the type of quake it was, it was uh, one of those that hit uh, in the shallower areas of, of the land and the houses that are made out of just basically mud collapsed on people while they were in in the houses. Um, that is why you had such a huge death toll on the first quake. The second quake was a, really an aftershock that took place last week. Um, and the houses that, that had remained standing from the first quake are the ones that collapsed this time. Um, so you have a lot of the emotional distress, a lot of the physical distress that is that is occurring. And um, Global Catalytic Ministries has been on the ground there. They are getting aid in where aid has been difficult. It's been challenging. The Taliban has actually started to cooperate because they need the help and they know they need the help. Um, but this is one of those rare situations where um, as the ministry partner is out there being the hands and feet of Christ, they also know that they're being very closely watched. So continue to pray for them. Heart for Iran is another partner that is uh, working to address some of the spiritual and physical, uh, spiritual and emotional needs of what's happening there. They have just launched a new initiative called Heart for Afghanistan, and that was launched this month with two goals. One is um, they want to introduce Afghans to the hope of Christ, and then the other is they want to introduce us to Afghan Christians. Um, so that we have more of a personal connection so that when we pray for the body of Christ in Afghanistan, we have something very close and personal and a connection uh, so that we pray knowledgeably. 
Yeah, I appreciated um, these uh, these quotes from Mike and Sari from Heart for Iran. Uh, he says, since the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, a lot less news coverage is being offered to Afghanistan, but the condition of the country has become far worse. We need to inform people around the world of the Afghan Christian plight. These Afghan Christians are under severe persecution. So appreciate this um, article at missionnews.org. Um, Heart for Iran launching this new initiative called Heart for Afghanistan. So it's, um, I appreciate, Ruth, how you're always helping us see what our brothers and Christi- what our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are experiencing, but also how God is using the church um, to to reach the least and the lost. I mean, the the testimony of how Afghan Christians who are under such severe persecution and in such need themselves are, however, turning and reaching out to others who are in greater need. And it's just um, uh, particularly in the in the peace disaster st- strikes twice in eastern Afghanistan, where you know you. You talk about, you know, I mean, how the church responds Um, when we see someone in greater need than ourselves, even when we are in need, you know, like out of out of their poverty, they are giving um, to others who are in greater need. And it's 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 just extraordinary. Um, Maybe take us into this piece you have posted on the status of things in Darfur, talking about places where uh, people are in extreme need. Well, the, the the case is actually kind of interesting. Uh, this actually started back at the end of June, where police raided a church in a certain area and arrested four Christian men that they found praying there, along with all of the materials they, that they found there. Um, the police charged the men with apostasy because the police insisted that the men had converted from Islam to Christianity, even though they said that they have always been Christians. Uh, in Sudan, uh, apostasy had a death penalty connected to it if you were convicted. Um, the thing that got really interesting, though, is that uh, there's been a lot of misinformation about this case. Um, and a judge earlier, uh, actually earlier this month, we found out late in the game, but uh, earlier this month, a judge actually closed the case, didn't throw, you know, it's not like they, they just said they threw it out or whatever. The judge closed the case because the offense of apostasy was a, repealed uh, in um, 2020. So if you remember when uh, there was a military coup and there was all this stuff that was happening where um, changes were being made and Sudan was making these huge strides to toward democracy and to human uh, human rights and religious freedom and everybody was really excited about the potential of what was going on. In this case, the uh, apostasy, um, I guess, clause in their constitutional law was tossed out. And because of that, the judge said there's nothing to charge them with because this doesn't exist anymore. So in this case, the four Christian men were released, and that's fantastic news because this is the way it's supposed to work. But we wanted to kind of remind you uh, through friends from Voice of the Martyrs that because they were actually identified in this case, which made a lot of headlines in Sudan, they're still in danger because now they've been identified and now there are uh, extremists in Sudan who can target them because uh, they still regard them as apostates, even though the law says there's no such thing as apostasy in Sudan. So there is likely to follow um, fatwa, uh, a death mark on their heads. Uh, Anybody that's still connected to Christianity is still at risk. So be praying for these believers, because even though their court case is over, their lives are still 
at risk, as as are many who are in Sudan, uh, keeping in mind that the people who are still who were in charge under Omar al-Bashir are still in charge and that a lot of the law that stays uh, that is in place right now is still based on Sharia law. So um, it, it, there's some changes and in some cases it's good, but uh, there's still need for prayer. Yeah, I have in mind here, you know, just to maybe contextualize it for people here in the United States of America and other Western listeners, like, right, so just because a law changes on the books of, um, you know, of, of a country or of a city or a state doesn't mean that everybody who lives there agrees with the change in that statute or that criminal code. And so maybe you could think about things that have been legalized or made illegal where you live and you disagree with those statutes or those um, those laws based on your religious belief. So just think about that for just a moment. And then um, imagine that you are the practitioner of a faith that says that if someone breaks the religious law, the code that you understand, um, that you then have the right to go and um, basically uh, be a vigilante and um, and take that person's life if that's what is um, required under what you understand to be the religious law. So that's really, you know, that's part of what's going on here. There is Sharia law, Islamic law that provides provisions for how to deal with quote unquote infidels. Um, and there are people willing to um, carry out that kind of, uh, of what they understand to be justice, even in the face of a nation, in this case, Sudan, um, that has decriminalized um changing from one religion to another. It's decriminalized conversion. It is no longer apostasy, understood to be apostasy, uh, to become a Christian if um, if you started out as a person of Islamic faith. So that's, um, it's, a va- it's a fascinating story and it's definitely one worth following. Let's be praying for the people of Sudan. Let's be pra- praying for our Christian brothers and sisters and the witness of Christ and his church. We're gonna continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer in just a moment. We're gonna um, take a look at what Russian churches um, are doing and how they are engaging and helping, this might surprise you, a Ukrainian pastor. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. This is amazing grace. Amazing Grace and Unfailing Love. We're talking with Ruth Kramer this morning from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about at missionnews.org. Just a reminder that if you're looking for links to all of the articles that we discuss here, you can find it in the podcast notes that are posted each and every day at myfaithradio.com or wherever you download your podcasts. Um, Ruth, let's talk about what is happening um, among our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. And in particular, take us into this um, 
you know, I, I don't I think that there is evidence that the body of Christ is connected across international borders. And you have this this story of how Russian congregations are actually helping a Ukrainian pastor on the front lines. Well, this is one of the things that I love about the Ministry of Slava Gospel Association is that they have a wide view about what is going on, and um, they they see how the body of Christ is knit together in spite of the fact that there's stuff like this happening between, you know, Russia's invasion and all of the pain and the suffering that's going on in Ukraine. Um, you know, we, we tend to vilify all of Russia because of what is happening there because, you know, there's a lot of injustice that's happening. And yet this story was allowing us to see the heart of Christ uh, that was that was unifying this body. Um, they're working with uh, a group of churches that uh, are trying to provide uh, Russia churches, Russian churches that are trying to provide aid to a pastor in the occupied city of Kherson. Um, it's very difficult there, and it's dangerous to really be receiving aid or you know getting out and about and and assisting people that are in need. Um, because of the occupation. So what I think is interesting is that this body of Christ over the border said, this isn't right. We see the need. We're going to respond in the name of Christ. And the, you know, Slava Gospel Association's like, this is the backside of the battle. This is what's happening um, behind the headlines where you have churches that are trying to get funding and aid to a pastor in Kherson, a Ukrainian pastor in, in Kherson, so that he can um, meet needs in his community in the name of Christ and tell people that this is from a body of believers who love them like Christ loved them, um, loves them, and they might be considered the enemy in other circumstances. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's teaching people a lot about what it is to love and receive aid and, and pride and sacrifice and uh, humility. And this is, this is something that I think we can take away from uh, in, in, lessons for ourselves and what would it take for us to respond in kind and i think how we can be praying for the body of christ in these kinds of situations uh, you know when when you're talking about what it would take to get aid to people in an occupied city you're also talking about not only exposing yourself but just the time it takes to get a bag of mm -hmm. groceries through all those checkpoints what might normally take you i don't know maybe 15 minutes to to drive five miles might extend to several hours just getting through all the checkpoints uh, to get from one point to the other, and that's just one family that you're trying to, to reach with, with the aid. Um, so, you know, this is something that we are keeping an eye on. This is something we thought would be good to encourage people with just so they know that there's another story that's going on behind the headlines of what's happening. You know, uh, as the war in Ukraine is affecting, it's just having a global effect with the disruption in the food production and just all of the things that are happening geopolitically. Um, this is an encouraging story. So we can join the body of Christ and say, we remember who we are. Let's be praying. And honestly, every time we talk about a story like this, um, people want to support what is happening. In, in these kinds of situations. You may not be able to physically go and do something about it, but by coming underneath, by um, praying and by physically supporting, like uh, providing the financial means, we can actually be hands and feet of Christ through these people. 
Ruth, it's such a great reminder that we are the body of Christ and that we have brothers and sisters in Russia and we have brothers and sisters in Ukraine and we have brothers and sisters um, in, in every other nation under heaven. Like this is um, this is a testimony uh, of of the way the body of Christ works and the way we're mutually committed to one another, regardless of what's going on geopolitically. There's another piece um, posted at Mission News, new opportunities on the China-Russia border that I also found super encouraging. Bibles for China, working with churches in Russia to get Bibles into the hands of Chinese believers. Um, It was a reminder of, first of all, just how big Russia is, Right. We can talk about what's happening across the Ukrainian border um, in terms of Russian churches supplying for the material needs of a pastor in Ukraine so that he can um, serve people in his community. And then, you know, trek all the way east to the border that Russia shares with China and Russian churches there. Um, you know, recognizing the need for believers on the other side of the border, Chinese believers, to get their hands on Bibles and, and how Bibles for China is um, is enabling that to happen. So um, lots of great things for you guys to check out at missionnews.org. Um, God is at work. God is at work in the world. And lest we forget that, Uh, Let's check in periodically on what our brothers and sisters are doing around the world. Ruth, anything else you want to highlight um, with us today? I love the fact that you highlighted the Bibles for China story. Um, There are a lot of people who have an impression on uh, what China is in terms of how they treat Christians and things like that. And some of those are accurate. I mean, if you've heard that there's persecution on the above ground church and there's persecution of the underground church um, or there isn't, All of that is true because China is such a vast country, and you have a ministry like Bibles for China recognizing that it's not so much the issue that people uh, don't have the scriptures in their their, – available in China. It's the accessibility. Um, Bibles for China focuses on the rural church where it is very difficult to get to a place where you can get a Bible or afford a Bible, and uh, it's the body of Christ meeting a need to be able to come alongside the local church and say, we're going to walk with you and we're going to disciple you and we're going to help you with the bread of life. Yeah, getting um, getting Bibles across the, the Chinese border, I think sometimes we imagine, that, you know, that well, that could only happen, you know, one way. That could only happen because people from the United States are going to fly across there and they're going to be in our suitcases. And that's actually not how God is doing it. Like there are... Um, some 80 million people living on uh, on the border and the border provinces of China with Russia. And lots of them cross that border for work. I think about all of the people that cross the southern border of the United States for work or the people who um, cross the border between Palestine and Israel for work. And then they return. Well, they return. I mean, I can tell you on the southern border of the United States when they come across and they're going to work and then they go back, they stop at Walmart on the way. And like, right, they go back with loads of stuff. Um, And the same is true um, between Palestine and Israel, like, right, people go to work and then they load up stuff and then they go back. Well, if you think about Chinese people crossing over the Russian border for work and then going back, they actually have, you know, more things available to them on one side of the border than another. And so um, Bibles can be a part of that. And that's just really, it's just extraordinary to think about. And it's extraordinary um, to, to celebrate the way God's word continues to go forth through the ministry of his people 
um, around the world. So thank you, as always, Ruth, for bringing us these good news stories, even in the midst of, um, you know, some very troubling days and experiences. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That's Ruth Kramer. You can find her at Mission Network News. Now, go run well, our friend. Run well. Thank you. Talk to you again. Absolutely. All right. That sounds great. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Yesterday, we talked with Chris Manson about the effort to get ambulances from here in the United States over to Ukraine. And um, and so I just wanted to share with you that just yesterday, they confirmed that ATAC Ambulance uh, is donating two fully stocked ambulances to Ukraine. Um, but they're still busy collecting other medical supplies and, um, and more ambulances uh, to go over there and um, serve on the front lines of this effort. And so if you missed our conversation with Chris Manson yesterday, please go and um, and listen to it at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you get your podcast. because first of all, you're going to be encouraged by his faith and then his faithfulness. And then the faithfulness of others who have been moved to, um, you know, get resources moving in the right direction. Um, for the advancement of, of the kingdom. And you say to yourself, well, how is sending ambulances to Ukraine advancing the kingdom of God? Hey, anytime that um, hope arrives, anytime that people call out for help and hope arrives um, and the great physician is able to bring physical healing and relief, you know, that is something to which we can point and we can say, see that, see that. First of all, it gives us an opportunity to point to the reality of our fallenness and our brokenness and our humanity and our need. But then it also gives us the opportunity to point to the goodness and the graciousness of God and the way that he provides one for the other through a network of relationships and the releasing of resources in places where they are in abundance to places where they are scarce. And so let's be a part of that. Um, today, look for the places where there are needs, where you have resources in, within your reach that could be leveraged to help. And maybe if that's an ambulance or, um, or physical supplies, um, join, you know, join this effort of getting ambulances that are fully stocked to the front lines um, in Ukraine. You can connect with Chris Manson. His contact info is in our show notes from yesterday at MyFaithRadio.com. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.